Hello? Is this thing working? Do you hear me? Hello? Hello? Being the loudest can be important for humans. It's not as important to have the best idea when you have the biggest, shoutiest idea. So, as humanity has expanded and we invented technology to suit our needs, what happened to our need to be really, incredibly loud? Simple. We invented the megaphone. That's from sketch comedy program Mr. Show, where the rivalry between two popular acoustic megaphone crooners makes for a captivating and humorous comedic concept. In the sketch, two men battle with megaphones to promote not only themselves, but also the popular inventions of their time. Now, that sketch may be fiction, but I started wondering, just how did these megaphones come into being, and how much noise were they making? in a figurative and literal sense. Maybe you didn't know that Thomas Edison invented a megaphone, like I didn't before researching this. In fact, the term megaphone is directly associated with his 1878 design. Edison developed a device with the intention of helping the deaf and hard of hearing. Edison's design comprised of three funnel tubes lined up in a row. The two outer funnels were pretty big, being roughly six feet and eight inches long. They then connected to the ear of a user by a tube. The middle funnel had a large slot to insert a user's mouth. Edison's megaphone was a success. A whisper could be heard up to a thousand feet away, and a person speaking normally could be heard two miles out. The only real problem with this design was how massive the thing was, limiting its portability. Indeed, the British Medical Journal would publish a letter by Edison saying the idea and instrument are still an embryo. But it does go to show how much a man can accomplish with a little bit of altruism and without a bitter, vengeful feud with Nikola Tesla. And it laid the groundwork for the portable electrified megaphone 70 years later. Although, that's another day's conversation. But Edison's was not the first megaphone. We have the theater to thank for that. The earliest megaphones can be traced back to ancient Greece, and specifically, the Greek theater. With open-air theaters that could hold up to 17,000 people, Greek theaters were big. Plus, the large and open nature of the theater spaces back then required something with a little more oomph in order for the actors to be heard well over the vast and open environment. Reports of actors wearing masks with cones attached to the mouth came as a solution to this problem, as a means of magnifying the voice. Henry C. Montgomery writes in the classical journal that these masks originally meant to convey emotions, but the large opening at the mouth ended up serving as a megaphone. And megaphones were useful outside of theater, too. A Native American chief named Iskuakatai would use a megaphone-shaped piece of birch bark to communicate better with his men. Whether these are the earliest iteration of megaphones is arguable. Consider the ruins of Tiwanaku in Bolivia, 
with a population estimated around 15,000 in 800 AD. In the center of these large ruins are megaphone-like stones. Although their purpose is today unknown, a guard around the area can show you, through the stones, that it is possible to amplify one's voice to be heard across the large swath of ruins. What I find so fascinating about these early reports is how different and independent societies came up with a technology similar in form and purpose to the megaphone. Not only was there a need for a megaphone device in each society, but different roles to play in their cultures. In Greece, the megaphone mask would make the actors audible across an open theater. In early North America, a megaphone was used to coordinate orders among men in the wilderness. And in Bolivia, megaphones were invented so that guards would have something fun to show tourists 1,500 years later. Now, let's step into our more modern society, where the origins of the megaphone become louder in time. The mid-1600s saw two precursors to the modern megaphone be invented in Europe. Athanasius Kircher was a German monk who had developed a megaphone device that could not only enhance the volume of one's voice, but also facilitate eavesdropping in an open space. Kircher didn't just want to be nosy for nosiness's sake. He wanted to be an inventor. Kircher's invention was a coiled horn that could be placed inside a building wall, with the narrow end in the building and the horn end coming out of the outside wall. Through the narrow end, one could listen to sounds entering from the outside, or speak to gatherers outside through the horn. Now it's 1655. Samuel Moreland was a diplomat, academic inventor, and also a spy. His notebooks contained scribbles of megaphones, and Moreland published a work about his experimentation with different horns. He called these speaking trumpets and the smaller models were meant to aid communication between ships at sea. One of these horns, and his largest design, with 20 feet of copper tube, was capable of projecting a person's voice over a mile and a half. Imagine distantly challenging someone to a duel, only for them to find out you were never really there. Of note, Moreland's megaphone design is most similar to what we might think of as the modern megaphone, being a straight, tube-shaped device. Kircher's, being coiled for the sake of compactness, is, is much closer to an armadillo. Though the device we know of as a megaphone today does not appear to have a single inventor, it seems logical to consider it an evolution of the devices we have known for decades. Also, if you're having trouble picturing this podcast's definition of a modern megaphone, Try to imagine the thing that movie directors would be shouting out of on old-timey movie sets. Yeah, that's the one. Humans have held various cones and funnels up to their mouth for centuries, and to take that evolution as a straight line leads us to where we are now, or rather, where we are up to the 1960s. By the way, how a megaphone works is fairly intuitive, if not immediately discernible. Sound is produced when air is vibrated. Speaking normally, only the air in front of your mouth is vibrating to produce sound. With a megaphone, there's larger surface area for air to vibrate across. Not only is the air in front of your mouth vibrating, 
but those vibrations travel through the cone, causing the cone to vibrate as well, which enhances the sound to travel across a wider range. And when you're listening to a sound, the same principles apply. The cone shape allows more sound to vibrate inside and travel down the megaphone into your ear. So when you picture a megaphone in your head, do you picture a movie director like I do? Cecil B. DeMille was noted for his use of megaphone when he directed big epics like The Ten Commandments and Samson and Delilah. But as it turns out, the megaphone had more utility than just to shout out orders. It could also be used to shout out cheers. Picture this. It's the 1880s, before cheerleading was ever officially organized, before women were even allowed to join cheerleading squads. The megaphone became a popular accessory for early cheerleaders. According to the website Epic Sports and their section on cheerleading, the megaphone allowed football spectators to hear cheerleaders yell with loudness and clarity. Thomas Peebles, a notable cheerleader member of Princeton's Pep Club, was among the first to pioneer the megaphone for cheerleading activities, but before cheerleading was officially organized. It was actually the University of Minnesota who created the first cheerleading fraternity in 1898, and it was their own Johnny Campbell who had the distinction of shouting out cheers with a megaphone after cheerleading had been formally recognized and cheerleading's popularity reverberated across the nation. And in the 1920s, women were able to join previously male-dominated cheer organizations, and the megaphone remains integral to spreading team spirit far and wide. To this day, acoustic megaphones are still in wide use among cheerleaders, and acoustic megaphones are still being adapted for use, even in these modern times. For example, architecture students in Estonia created three large wooden megaphones, big enough for a person to stand inside of. These megaphones live in a forest in Pani, Estonia. Their mission is to pick up on the sounds of nature and for visitors to listen to the story the forest offers us. My idea was that there would be a place in the woods where you can forget about everything. You would forget the usual, reading books in the library or at home would be the place in the forest where there is a certain peace to gather fresh ideas, thoughts, and to be in a place with totally different energy. And it's also a place for resting, just for leaning, taking a moment for yourself and thinking about what is going on in your head. Megaphones have been invented and reinvented throughout time. Generations create the megaphones that suit their own needs. Some to speak and some to listen. Greeks used megaphones to better their theater performances. Native Americans used megaphones the same way Cecil B. DeMille did, to coordinate large groups and rally them, like a cheerleader would. And Edison created the megaphone to help the hard of hearing. The generations before us may have phased out megaphones as a means of mass communication, but hearing of the repurposing of megaphones as devices of listening may be exactly what our culture needs today. That's all for right now. Thanks for listening.